as you're um, sitting down, if you'd like to, if you're near the end of the row, uh, grab one of these bits of paper and pass it down. Hopefully there's enough to go around. Uh, we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, right at the start of the book of the, uh, the Bible. Um, the first book of the Bible, Genesis and chapter 3, and it's here on the bits of paper. Let me read it, and then we're going to have a look at it together. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You'll not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He'll crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Lord God, you said, let light shine out of darkness. And we pray that you would shine your light into our darkness and into our brokenness this morning. So Lord, please come by your spirit as we look at your word and work in each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Prince Louis. Did you guess the name? Uh, Imagine just for a moment, if you would, that you were given responsibility for educating Prince Louis about life as he grows up. 
The responsibility is in your hands. And, and I wonder, would you tell him that the world was a happy place or a sad place? You could argue it both ways, couldn't you? I mean, there's so much that is a spectacular, spectacular beauty and wonder about the world. A world in which people create works of art, tell jokes, fall in love, and eat sticky toffee pudding. And yet it's also a world that is a place of suffering and heartbreak and division and disease and violence and rampant greed. It's both, isn't it? Both happy and sad. Both breathtaking and broken. If you were here last week, uh, you'll remember that I spoke about uh, going to the opticians. And when you have an optician's test and the optician sticks these funny glasses on you and it's got all sorts of slots in front of the glasses and they stick all sorts of different lenses in those slots and eventually after they stuck a number of different lenses in, suddenly you can see crystal clear. And if you like, this four-week sermon series that we're looking at, we're, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to put in a number of different lenses to help you and me see the world and see life clearly. And if you were here last week, you'll remember last week we put the created lens in. But I said, if that is the only lens that we put in, it's a good lens to put in, we must put it in. But the lens that there is a creator God, that you and I, we've been created, and we live in a wonderful world. If that is the only lens that we put in and we look at life through, then we will be fairly naive and very quickly disillusioned. Because what we need to do this week, we need to, as it were, put the second lens in. Not just created, but fallen. Not just breathtaking, but broken. We need to put this second lens in and see how the world looks through it. And today, as we look at Genesis 3, we see the origin of all this brokenness. In Genesis 3, often known as the fall. Now, everyone knows that there are things wrong with this world. You know, lack of education, the political system, all sorts of things supposedly wrong with this world. But the Christian worldview is that the ultimate problem undergirding it all is sin. And sin, it's not fundamentally about the sort of relatively trivial or harmless disobedience. But fundamentally, sin is about you and I taking the place of God. Just have a look for a moment, would you, at verse 5, at the end of that first paragraph. The snake says to Adam and Eve, verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Sin is about us wanting to take the place of God, wanting to be like God, to be God in this world. And what I'd love us to see this morning is the consequences of that. And the consequences of us taking the place of God, I want us to see it in terms of four relationships. Our relationship out to other people and our relationship in with ourselves. Our relationship down to creation and our relationship up with God. You see, those four relationships, out, in, down, up, those four relationships are what it means for you and I to be made in the image of God. And what I said last week, that from Genesis 3 onwards, as humans, we are still, as it says in Genesis 1, we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. 
But from Genesis 3 onwards, that image, it is marred and it is broken. And it's marred and broken because there is brokenness in those four relationships, out, in, up, and down. So here's the first one. You'll see we've got a nasty little table to fill in again. I'm quite keen on my tables for this series of talks. Um, first one are broken relationships out with others. That's characterized by disunity. Disunity. Adam and Eve, they have eaten the forbidden fruit, as one wag put it. The problem was not with the apple in the tree, but the pear on the ground. And God comes up to the pear, the male half of it, and he says to Adam, verse 11, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And what does this big, brave, courageous man do? He blames his missus. Says it's all her fault. She did it. Not me, Gov. But then Eve's no better. What does Eve say? Eve says, the snake tricked me. It's the snake's fault, she says. And we see today this disunity in relationships. It's not just restricted to marriage. We see disunity between work colleagues, between football fans, between church leaders, between countries, even, I'm sure, at times between Asda and Sainsbury's as they try and work out their merger. It all starts here in Genesis 3. Disunity. Second, broken relationships in with ourselves. There is distress. There's distress. Verse 10, Adam says to God, he says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Now back in chapter 2, before the fall, we read how the man and the woman, they were both naked, they felt no shame, but suddenly now there is huge internal distress and they cover themselves with fig leaves. Now all of us here, we will know that feeling of distress. When you've mucked up, when I've done something wrong, that those feelings of guilt, even years or decades after the event, and we want to hide. When we tell off one of our children for doing something wrong, one of them particularly, always, when we tell them off, nearly always, they will run straight to their bedroom and they will hide under their duvet. Just inbuilt within them is this internal instinct that they must hide, they must cover up because of the internal distress and the realization of their wrongdoing. Now, as 21st century adults, we may not use fig leaves or duvets, but all of us, we still cover up and hide. We pretend the distress doesn't exist. We try and shove it in a cupboard, lock the door, and throw away the key. We cover up the internal distress caused by our own sin. And we cover up the internal distress caused by the sin of others, where you and I have been sinned against. Thirdly, looking down, our broken relationship with the world is characterized by difficulty. Difficulty. You see, whereas God's command in, in Genesis chapter 1 is be fruitful and multiply, now it is be painful and multiply. And the difficulty and pain of childbearing mentioned in verse 16 reminds us not just of the pain of labor for all mothers, but it reminds us that probably nearly every woman here and many men too will have some heartache connected to this. Be it the unfulfilled desire for children or the agony of a miscarriage or the emotional confusion of abortion or the pain of giving birth. And then in the next verse, verse 17, that the camera angle on difficulty, it broadens further, not just the fertility of childbirth, the fertility of the ground. Look at verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. 
Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Work, which was totally fulfilling in the Garden of Eden. We saw that last week. Actually, now it is frustrating as well. Work is difficult, and all of us, we know that. All of us, our work, paid or unpaid, this last week, there would have been some frustration, I'm sure. And then finally, there is the broken relationship up to God. And above all, the consequence of that is death. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, God says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. In fact, death isn't just about physical death. Adam and Eve, they spiritually died when God banished them from the garden at the end of chapter 3. And then their physical death was an inevitable consequence of their spiritual death. You will not certainly die, says the snake in verse 4. But he is proved to be utterly, totally wrong. This world is broken. I am broken. You are broken. And that is the grim reality. Disunity, distress, difficulty, and death, all a result of humanity taking the place of God, us wanting to be like God. And all of us here, we will have experienced something of all of those four Ds in our life. And for many of us sitting here, At the moment, the experience of those four things is deeply, deeply painful. And in a sense, a right application for you and for me, looking on this world through this broken lens, a right application for each one of us is that we look at life with a dose of healthy skepticism. That we don't, as it were, put rose-tinted lenses into our glasses as we look on this world and on life. That we don't sort of think things in this life will always be fine. Because the truth is, they won't, even when we're trusting in Jesus. And so here are three statements that I think it is good for you and me to realize. Each of these three statements, just four words. Here's the first one. The first statement I think we need to realize is life is not fair. Life is not fair. My children, if one gets a smaller portion of ice cream, or if one gets four strawberries and the other gets five strawberries, there is a may- there's breakdown, melt, mayhem, turmoil. You know, I can chop the strawberry in half and give them four and a half each. They'll be fine with that, but then there'll be something else that won't be fair. And, you know, I've realized that, yes, I shouldn't be sort of, you know, purposefully biased to my children. That might be wrong. But actually, I need to teach them that life is not fair. I need to teach them that because life isn't fair. I need to teach it to myself as well. You know, cancer, Alzheimer's, earthquakes, there's no moral test as to who's affected by them. Life is often unfair. That the why question often remains unanswered in this life. Number two thing that we, we all need to hold on to, to learn, is that others let us down. 
Others let us down. All of us, we have heroes. Whether they're heroes in sport or film or politics or music or church, we respect them, we look up to them, we want to be like them. And then sometimes they let us down. And in some senses, we shouldn't be surprised if they let us down. If they don't measure up to the pedestal that we've put them up on. You know, when we discover that the person who has brought peace to a country can't live at peace with their spouse. When we discover that the sports star has been cheating. When we discover that the church pastor has had sexual indiscretions. Now, of course, we are disappointed, we are saddened when we hear it, but in a sense, it is not totally surprising because people are broken. I think it was one of the, the mistakes that I made when Susanna and I got married. Because I expected Susanna to be perfect. I expected her to never let me down. And you know, the first couple of years of our marriage, actually, we had lots and lots of arguments in that time. And when we look back on it and we look at what was the prime reason we had lots of arguments, mostly it was because I had unrealistic expectations that Susanna would be completely perfect in every area of life. Now she was and she, and she is absolutely amazing. She's not perfect. She is. Let me just note that. Did you hear that clearly? Um, but I was a fool to think that she could be totally perfect at everything and meet all my needs all of the time. Of course she couldn't. No human being can. Other people will let us down. And then that leads to the third thing that we need to recognize about ourselves. I get things wrong. I get things wrong. I am flawed and broken. And every part of me is flawed and broken. And every part of you is flawed and broken. My mind is flawed and broken, so I would do well to not think that what I think is always right, because sometimes I will not think straight. My heart is broken and flawed, so I would do well not to totally rely on my feelings and just go with whatever my heart says, because sometimes it'll be wrong. My will is broken and flawed. I will choose to do things I shouldn't and I will choose not to do things that I should. Sometimes I won't act straight. And so I need to have a healthy skepticism about myself. Now here's where all that leaves us. If we only wear the created and broken lenses... Life will be fairly depressing. And yet this is the amazing thing. This is the wonderful thing. Those three statements that I've just said, each of them just four words. Others let me down. That summarizes the broken relationship we have out with others. I get things wrong. That summarizes the broken relationship we have with ourselves. Life is not fair. That summarizes the broken relationship we have with the world. But when it comes to that last one, when it comes to our broken relationship with God, here is the statement that is written over that one. Here is the statement. It's just four words. And the four words are this. God still loves you. God still loves you. God wants to be reconciled with you and me. And it is pure grace. We don't deserve it. And you know, this chapter of the Bible, 
This chapter, Genesis 3, which speaks of the origin of all the brokenness in this world, even in this very chapter, we see hints of God's grace, hints of his amazing, undeserved, reconciling love for you and me. Just look at this. Firstly, in terms of our relationship out to others. Full of disunity, just see the love of God here. We get the christening. The christening. Verse 20, down at the bottom. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. It seems so out of place. Adam, having been blaming his wife, suddenly acts in love to her, naming her with a beautiful name. Second, in terms of our relationship in to ourselves, it's full of distress. We're covering up the shame, covering it up with the fig leaves, with the duvet. Into that, verse 21, we get the clothes. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God showing such love. God giving them what they don't deserve. They're wanting to cover up. He says, no, I'll cover you up. And this is probably the first sacrifice in the Bible. Animals killed to lovingly provide for Adam and Eve's needs, pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice for our needs. Jesus killed on the cross. Then in terms, thirdly, of our relationship down to the world, where there's difficulty in oh so many ways, we discover actually that the chuck-out is part of God's love. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden. You see, if Adam and Eve... If they had eaten from the tree of life, at that point, at the end of Genesis 3, they would have been locked into this state of difficulty and rebellion for eternity. And that is hell. And instead, because they are chucked out, instead, you and I, we are in this world, not in Eden. We're in a world of difficulty, but a world that keeps on pointing us back to our out-of-kilter relationship with God and crying out for us to mend it. This world that you and I, that we live in, it is screaming to us every day. And what it is screaming to us is be reconciled with God. Be reconciled with God. You see, all the difficulty, all the frustrations, God, in a sense, he frustrates and makes difficult every area of life to lead us to him, to to make us know, to make us think there must be more to life than this. And then finally, and perhaps most wonderfully, In place of death, in our relationship to God, we get the crusher. The crusher. Verse 15. Verse 15. God is speaking to the snake, to Satan, and he says this. Verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden As the snake came to tempt Eve, the first Adam should have stamped on his head, but he didn't. And yet here, God promises there will be someone, one of Eve's offspring, a second Adam, who will crush Satan. And as you go through the history of the Old Testament, Eve has her first son, Cain. Is he going to be the one who crushes Satan? No, he's a murderer. And so it goes on and on and on, all the way through the Old Testament. This search for one of Eve's offspring who will overcome the devil, will crush his head, 
And the search goes on and on and on until Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate crusher, the one who by his own death crushed Satan so that you and I might know eternal life as we are reconciled to God. As on the cross, Jesus defeats sin and death and Satan. As I close, God calls out to Adam. He calls out to Adam in the Garden of Eden, verse 9. He calls out, where are you? Where are you? And Adam is hiding. In the midst of all this brokenness, Adam hides. And yet God still seeks. And today, my prayer is that in the middle of this broken world, in this middle of this broken world where we are to blame, but where we are also caught up in the consequences of this brokenness, in the middle of this brokenness, as you hear God calling out to you, seeking you, my prayer is that you would not hide but rather you would come out. You would come out before the one who still loves you. The one who longs for you in the middle of all this brokenness. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord God, in this broken world. Thank you that you still love me. Thank you that you still call out to me. Thank you that you seek me. And Lord God, here I am. Just in a moment of quiet, just as it were, hear God saying to you, where are you? God calling out to you. And just in your heart, maybe respond to him right now.